Welcome back to Incremental, the Continuous Improvement Podcast. I'm Devin Bedoni. And I'm Uriel Eisen. And this is our concepts edition for the week. And we're going to be having a loose focus on lean as a company grows, how that can help aid in growth, and um, also just like sort of the necessary things that you need from lean to, to enable the growth. Um, as I've written it down here, how it eases the pains <laughs> of growth. Yeah. I guess I don't really have a strong point of comparison, Yeah, but I think also some of the challenges with growth and how that, um, how that can be dealt with, with lean versus other approaches or something. Yeah. You got us a quote, quote of the week. Uh, time is not the same as timing from Shiji Shingo. And in the context they're talking about it, which I thought was very interesting, is basically that like things need to happen at the right time, not just um, quickly happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and it's important to distinguish uh, whether a thing takes too long or is just not timed well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of you know gets into like just in time, right? Like getting making stuff that will eventually sell like the premise of just in time right is that that doesn't count <laughs> uh-huh. as good just because it will eventually sell yeah right? you're meant to make it just in time um, yeah i think it's easy to focus on like we've talked about so much recently about the operations in individuality and like zooming out and maybe using the analogy of like an engine like it'd be easy if you were like solely focused on operations to be like, these valves are not going fast enough. Right. Like we need to hit more valve cycles per minute, you know, but the engine's like, nope, only (laughs) do them when they need to happen or the whole thing's going to go to pot. (laughs) Right. Uh, And I think in production, it's so easy to be like, we need to make stuff. Let's make the stuff. Let's do it faster. And I think it is much more of a, like most production is much more of an engine type scenario where there's, these many, many small operations that have to happen in a very specific sequence in order for the whole ship to, to run smooth. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah. Um, so one of the things I have written down here, um, something that, that sort of jumped out to me in reading, uh, some of, some of gold rats stuff I'm reading, I think Mm -hmm. you're reading too. the, uh, beyond the goal. Mm -hmm. It's just a, I don't know if it's a series of lectures or just one long it's a lecture. It's hard to tell. Hard to tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in it, um, he gives some examples of defining problems or def- defining. Uh, and he was a mathematician, so he's really physicist, right? Oh, maybe that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think a physicist. He goes on about it quite a bit about okay. the differences in how physicists <laughs> right, see the world right. and the rest of us see the world. <laughs> um, and. So, so definitions are key, um, but also reading Shigeo Shingo, um, he really spends quite a bit of time on definitions as well. And I think it can like sort of come off as pedantic, which we've sort of touched on before, uh-huh. but I think hearing them both do it, I think it is really important because how you define something um, can often drive how you solve the thing or can't solve the thing. Sure. Um, so one example, uh, Goldrat, uh, no, Shigio gave um, was 
using cutting oil for an engraving process mm-hmm. at a plant. So they had these big delays due to um, degreasing and proper cleaning. And mm-hmm. then they had defects when it wasn't properly cleaned. Mm-hmm. And they, they were contemplating buying more equipment to do the cleaning in the other department where it had to be done. But this other department was responsible for it. So they were like, right. And then he just asked, like, why is there oil in the first place? Like, and they were like, well, you need cutting oil. And so he kind of broke out, what is the, like, why do you need cutting oil? Yeah. And he broke it into three <laughs> factors, lubrication, cooling, and uh, chip evacuation. Yeah. And then was like, we barely have any, um, like, what happens if we just skip one of them, which is the yeah. lubrication? And so they just used air. Uh-huh. And actually the cool, the better chip evacuation of compressed air, um, it, it gave them longer cutting life even though everyone yeah but everyone sort of defined like if you're cutting you use cutting oil right it wasn't like what is the definition of cutting oil what is it doing i think yeah i think a big it seems to be that part of that like extreme focus on definition is breaking preconceptions yeah right it's sort of like a tool to drill into exactly what's happening and then so you can kind of see it because so just sticking with the surface level right we all arrive to these scenarios with our own set of preconceptions and pre predefined definitions of what general like general words and the kind of the common lexicon means right and we don't yeah so someone uses a word and we all know what it means but no one's sort of explicitly saying what exactly do you mean by that right (laughs) and i think like anybody who grew up outside of machining for example like assumes you use literally cutting oil or just oil every time you cut metal Mm -hmm. and you know that was that's always been an interesting thing when people come and visit my shop and for what you know whether it's like at the bridge port doing a manual operation Mm -hmm. questioning why i'm not using cutting oil oh interesting or you know in the big machines you know, like that's so much liquid. Yeah, I get that all the time. And you're like, what does that even do? And it's like, well, it actually does three different things. And, you know, sometimes it's doing one more than the other. And, right. Um, but sort of like going back to just like the common conception outside of the trade is that when you cut steel, you use oil. Like everybody just assumes and there is no. And so I think anybody who enters the trade probably starts with that preconception and, and mm. pre-definition or you just learn it as and you use cutting oil because otherwise the blade gets dull and yeah th- and, and then you're like all right, <laughs> right cutting use cutting oil right um i forget if we mentioned this last week or i was talking to someone else about this uh Shijio also gives an example of foaming yeah in a process uh, i think we did talk about yeah, it and the they bubble. defined it as like what is a bubble and it's like there's air and there's also a film and you can deal with the air or you can deal with the film yeah thought that was really interesting yeah and then gold rat it seems like talks like his whole thing about differences and how physic physicists see the world and everyone else sees the world is that physicists fundamentally see the world as extremely simple Mm. and boiling down to very 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 simple concepts that have wide-reaching um what's the word like uh just effects yeah and figuring out exactly what that simple thing is is the challenge and but it's all about defining that 
that question extremely detailed to the point it, to the point where you can find the simple root cause. Yeah. And yeah. yeah it's, it's similar. It's like a little different, but similar sort of effect at the end right. of the day. I, I thought in, in that book, he, um, the things he, so there's this idea, I think it's a good hearts principle where a metric becomes a bad metric. The second a metric becomes a metric, it becomes a bad metric. <laughs> right. So like the second you start measuring someone on a particular metric that seems like a good indicator of uh-huh. performance they start uh shifting their activities <laughs> toward that metric right. and then it doesn't actually measure the thing you thought it would it's kind of like how in physics in general like the idea that you can't measure anything without affecting the system <laughs> right yeah the electron um yeah. Yeah, so like a couple of good examples in academia, they started measuring how many papers you were set, your work was cited on uh-huh. as a measure of your influence in your field. Yeah. But then the second everyone knew that's what's happening, everyone's just sort <laughs> of like citing each other and uh-huh. then it's not a great <laughs> measure. Um, similarly, in operations, when you start measuring a plant based on uptime. Yeah. Right, everyone's like, "Oh, they really want our machines to be running." Right. Okay, Just we'll on keep the them running, and then, <laughs> well, or making parts, right? Yeah. And then it's like, the warehouse guys—that's a different. <laughs> that's their problem. Yeah. The fact they're making tons of stuff that we don't need for the next six months. Yeah. That's not my problem. You know, I'm gonna get a great score. Yeah. Um, and he sort of talks a lot about that, about how, how, like how we set up measurements in our companies really has a serious effect on right what people end up doing and i think a lot about that in like now that we're sort of growing the team it's like even like little comments you make does communicate your priorities right mm-hmm. and i think people are very attuned to yeah you as the boss and your priorities yeah Agreed. And it's really important to get them right so that you're not incentivizing like, you know, I had a boss who loved if he got an email earlier in the morning. Yeah, you mentioned that. <laughs> and it's like, that's so dumb. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I also feel like a lot of, um, we should probably move on here, but uh, a lot of bad management comes from a, from, from difficulty, uh, finding useful real metrics or a desire to have metrics overriding sort of like, I don't know if it's quite common sense, but it's sort of like you want this simple indicator of like, is someone doing their job because trust is hard because real oversight is hard yeah, because measuring progress in a project that is loosely or poorly or not at all defined as hard. <laughs> yeah, all of it. It's like this big messy soup and you're trying to pull something out of it. Yeah, so then it's just like, of... do I have an email from you early in the morning? You're reaching for straws, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah, kind of last point on that, I think Goldrat, his like emphasis on the throughput accounting mm-hmm. method seems to be kind of a, a, a very cool workaround for that. Because like all other metrics are subservient, all, everything else is subservient effectively. Right to that, it's like, did you ship more saleable product? Did you make more money on it? And are you what was that? You're holding. Le- are you holding less inventory? And what's the third leg of the 
throughput accounting. I'm not remembering. I just remember him basically it came down to part days, right? It's like, did you do things that you doing things that should have been done but weren't or doing things that shouldn't have been done but were? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that. But the, the throughput accounting method was, okay. was even, you know, kind of easier to, to wrap read. your head around. But uh-huh. basically it was like, are you shipping more saleable? Are you selling more stuff? Mm hmm. Um, are you holding less inventory? And yeah, I can't believe I can't remember the third one. It's another, it's another very like simple, straightforward, easy to understand concept. And if you use that as sort of your guiding metric, those are things that are fairly easy to measure. Yeah. It can be like, Oh, well, no, we're, we're going backwards on this one. So everything else kind of has to, regardless of whether, what your uptime looks like, regardless of what right. you're like. And, and that's the key because the like. easiest metrics to find, yeah. like we've talked about on this, like you found that page on your Speedio and it's yeah. like, oh wow, we're only up 50% of the time. And that is a really useful metric, but only to give you a sense of direction. But if you start talking about that metric with your employees, like yeah. pretty soon, they're going to keep that machine running more. Right. Right. They'll be like, well, maybe we'll run another warm up cycle or maybe yeah. we'll. Yeah. Which we did talk about it, but sort of as definitely just as like an indicator, yeah. not as like a, we need to push this number. Right. It's more like, why is this happening? I think it's the same with with time in processes. Like I think a lot of companies, it's sort of like how long does it take you to assemble one product right and then we'll measure that on your station and that's how long it should take and now if you fall below that that is because you are a bad employee (laughs) or a lazy employee or need more training or need sure a punishment instead of like that is an indicator that we have a problem in our system and we can all work together yeah to fix that right um exactly yeah so pick your metrics carefully i guess and um yeah, make sure everyone's kind of pushing in, in the right direction, not just the easy direction Yeah, or something. Um, we had a funny, you and I went on a, a, a ride this weekend. Uh-huh. And as part of the ride, we had to... It was a, an alley cat scavenger hunt. Yeah, slash raising money for yeah. like mutual aid. Yes. And so we had to make some care packages in the process. It was just like bottles of water and like a toothbrush and granola yeah. bars. Yeah. Um, and we both, you know, <laughs> we were with a bigger group and we, we were like, oh, let's single piece flow this yeah, puppy. We were like, this is prime for some single <laughs> yeah. piece flow. <laughs> yeah. And so to we be, sat down. For more clarification, it was like bags at one end, a bunch, a line of a bunch of, it was a, you know, assembly line, basically. Bunch of boxes. Yeah. They hadn't, the people running the station to assemble these hadn't, they then listed out the number of each item, mm-hmm. but it was hard to remember. Like there were clearly so many improvements to be made, like <laughs> writing that number on the box of items, sure, putting them in line so that it wasn't just like a big pile <laughs> of stuff and you weren't sure if you hit them all. Yeah. Then someone picked up a bag and loaded the water in first. And I was like, well, maybe we should do that at the end because it's heavy. And so then we have maximum transportation on like the heaviest thing. But we probably did this for, I don't know, two minutes. It was a total mess. And then everyone was sort of like, this seems more complicated than just like each person grabbing a bag and doing their own. Yeah. And so we all reverted to that. 
And I thought it was really notable because I think most of the people in our group walked away with this like, I don't know what these clowns were talking about, but it was <laughs> clearly worse, right? Like, yeah, maybe it's theoretically a nice idea, but it's worse. And I think like that's a lot of lean implementations. And instead of it lasting mm -hmm. for three minutes, it lasts for three months. But it was so clear in that moment, like it made everything worse. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. it took us more time. And it would have required like, okay, everyone stop. What's going wrong? What do right. you need from me? What am I not doing that? Let's ask why five times, guys. <laughs> yeah. And like, it clearly was a slower way to start. And it was more difficult. Everyone was more confused. Uh, it was just worse in basically every way. And I thought it was worth talking about on here because I think, I think that is the barrier that you have to get through mm -hmm. essentially it's like making sure everyone understands what the upside could be making sure yeah. you have time to like all talk and solve each other's problems and yeah it's so much of my sort of like personal experience of lean implementations mm -hmm. prior to doing reading and starting to do stuff in our own shop was hearing you know horror stories basically from other people's right. shops where something had been implemented from on high in management and like <clears throat> pretty much the story has always been we were making lots of good stuff <laughs> yeah. they came in and they threw away all of our tools and they threw away all of our scraps so we didn't have extra for when we needed to make a random thing and then they left <laughs> and, right. and it's kind of like yeah i can see why you were just really frustrated yeah uh, like now you don't have like, cause it, they didn't build a system, right? They was like, okay, we're going to throw away all the excess tools. Well, it turns out you don't have somebody who's like good at buying tools on time when you need them. Like you don't have a Kanban tool inventory set up. Right. Now you just don't have tools. <laughs> and they're like, well, those were the only tools we had. Now they're in the trash. Uh, we're screwed. And, and we're still being measured on how much work we put out and yeah. no one's coming in being like, all right, well clearly. Yeah. Like you guys are great and we're having a problem. Like let's figure it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunately extremely typical. Yeah. It's kind of looking at metrics again of being like, instead of being like, how do we move more, more stuff cost effectively through this plant or shop or whatever the situation is. They're like, Oh, well, uh, six Sigma says things need to be clean. So we're going to throw away everything. And that yeah, all clutter must be in the trash. Yeah, and like we're not going to take the time to find out why is this here? Is yeah. anyone does ever anyone use it even if it's once a year, but in a really critical yeah. fashion? <laughs> so I can see why that's frustrating. Um, yeah, I just looping back real quick looked mm -hmm. up throughput accounting the three mm -hmm. components uh, throughput <laughs> big big. Uh, How is that measured? Um, I think it's just items shipped kind of, or well, I think you can measure shipped. it differently, but I think it would be a dollar quantity. It's accounting. So it would be okay. Total sold. Total Totals dollar, delivered dollars correctly. Maybe that's an assumption. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That you're selling good product. Well, I'm just thinking like we get a, we, someone pays us for stuff and then it takes us like some, you know, sometimes four weeks to ship it to them. So sure. just cause it's cash in the door. <laughs> like if you gave that to a salesperson and said, get as much dollars in the, yeah. as many dollars in the door as possible, that 
I think okay, you're so a little some... bit of an aberration there. It, okay. At least in the like business to business, <laughs> business to business world, I think uh-huh. generally you're not getting paid until you uh-huh. at least ship something. Um, so throughput, uh, we're making the assumption that that's dollars dollars sold. Inventories. Mm-hmm. So I think that would include all product that's in your facility or has been purchased. Uh, that could be raw materials. And that's a negative. That's a negative. Yeah. The throughput is a positive. That one's a negative. And operating expenses. Okay. And those are the three legs. Yeah. And so operating expenses and inventories are obviously negative on your balance sheet. And throughput is a positive. And if you want to learn more about this, uh, yeah, it was sort of covered in beyond the goal. Yeah. I mean, it's covered in the goal, just not like head on. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That's the whole story of the book, basically. It was changing their system from a traditional accounting to to throughput accounting yeah and well more importantly changing all the things based on making <clears throat> their plants subservient to those goals right. um but yeah it, it, he does go into it into more detail in um in beyond the goal there's some interesting things in that book as well about the what he called like the throughput dollar days yeah that's a whole other thing about like balancing across a supply chain of multiple suppliers and how you hold each other accountable up and down the supply chain and kind of looking at the total sort of embedded cost of a product. Right. Of like how long I think he called what throughput dollar days was basically like the cost of the product and how many days it is held. Yeah. In a certain facility or, or held in the process prior to being sold to the end user or delayed yeah in being shipped to you as the producer from yeah. your supplier and it's sort of yeah the value times the number of days or number of hours yeah um yeah again i was impressed by his uh like taking the time to come up with a metric that accounts for all permutations mm-hmm. of like it really solves the problem of how do you account for being early, being late, overproducing, underproducing, right. producing defects, right? Like suddenly you don't need a special category for defects because if you ship someone a bad defect and it takes them six months to dis- to pull it from their inventory and then they discover it's bad, yeah. that counts against you for all those six months. So you yeah. best <laughs> be sure you only ship them good stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. Very, very impressive. Yeah. This kind of leads into uh, my, you know, focus this last week on lead times and cash flow yeah. management. Um, and just that I think often as in, in the common discourse and as business owners, we consider lead times mostly as like a lever for pleasing customers mm-hmm. or a lot of people do. Or, and I, I've always been aware that there's other things about it that are beneficial of lowering lead times, but it's kind of been like, that's the main thing is like pleasing customers. They, they place an order, right. they get their stuff soon. They're happy. Um, we're in a bit of a cash flow crunch right now because we've been doing a lot of long lead projects, like multiple months. They have a lot of embedded, you know, material cost labor, like our, our labor cost is all the same and it's paid, for, you know, we're, we've been paying that the whole time. We're not, you know, there's a lot of, uh, post-processing, anodizing, all that stuff. 
So we're out all of this money and we haven't been paid for it. Um, and that is a, you know, that's a direct effect of long lead times and right. things being right. in your facility for a long time. And so I think it's important to sort of, you know, come back and redefine what lead times mean in a business. Like it really does mean that you have money tied up in things that you can't use or like, right. you know, worth, you know, worse that you like actually don't have enough money. Well, I think that's it. Yeah. It's, it's tied up. Right. It's like, <laughs> Which yeah. is easy to think, you know, it's often like, I think most people, myself included, when they think of like money tied up in inventory, that's like, yeah, theoretically, it, yeah, but it's still, then I'll sell it. Right. It's like, it's a bummer. Yeah. There's some money tied up there until you're like, oh, that's actually the money that I need to pay my people. Or yeah. Like, that, that money right there I need right now to pay for my machine. That's interesting you say that because I think about that sometimes with when I'm explaining lean in our shop yeah and i point to our inventory and i'm like that represents machine time that represents labor that represents material costs that i can't use for other things but it's sort of a theoretical problem for me because it's like five thousand dollars and that's not you know the bank account has enough in it that that, you know that's not an issue (laughs) at all right but yeah it can very quickly become an issue i've been talking to a bunch of uh, other companies about margin and some other stuff I think we talked about on the podcast. Uh-huh. And a lot of people talk about basically like cash being the throttling point of their company. Yeah. And I was thinking on it. The reason it's not for me is because of lean. I mean, right. because it's really fast. Yeah. And like, if I was ordering my stuff from overseas, say in batches of 10,000 pieces or 5,000 yeah. pieces, like it'd be a thing. It'd be a thing. I I produced a bunch of stuff earlier, and I remember we were like, "Wow, when that company finishes, we're gonna be on the hook for like eighty-seven grand." Yeah, and I was like, "Where are we getting eighty-seven grand?" That was in a different product, different yeah, yeah, yeah. business. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, yeah, and I think for those of us who are small small businesses and growing, um, I'm very guilty of this, and I think it's it's easy to see a big project and be like, "Ooh, that's a big dollar amount. Awesome." And at the end of the day, like it is awesome, but there's these big, pretty substantial hurdles that you have to jump. Like when a much larger company takes on a project of this scale, it's small in the, in the total cash flow of that business. And when a, when a business my size takes on a project like that, it's a significant chunk and it has real effects. So I think it's something that as you grow, you really have to take into account and be pretty strategic about how you handle these moments because they can be, you know, they could theoretically sink a business. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think so. I mean, I think there are, we've sort of been talking about this. There are ways that everyone's amenable to working these things. I think Yeah. that is sort of like smaller batch delivery and stuff like that, where that you get paid. I think, so I've been thinking on this quite a bit and it was actually nice reading that gold rat book um, because he talked about this. There is this, I think latent perception in our culture that is a little bit like heavy on sales where it's like, once you ship a thing and you get paid for it, you've won Uh instead of like, no, when you ship that thing, 
the person you ship it to also needs to sell it and it needs Likely. to be all yeah. the way through the invent like the supply chain to a customer successfully and happily for everyone to win including yeah. you as the manufacturer and i just think about that with as it re- pertains to like a partnership between a producer and their suppliers like yeah. right like you're a part supplier to them mm-hmm. you need them to succeed yeah. to order another batch which is the hope yeah they need you to succeed. Yeah. And like, I think there's just like a missing piece of the conversation often. It's like, oh, I'll get a quote from someone and I hope it's really low. And it's like, you don't hope it's too low because they're going to get halfway through the project and go belly up and you're going to be six months behind. Or, you know, I think what is more common is a company quotes something low to get a job. They realize somewhere in the process that they're not making money and then so they don't do good quality work anymore. Yeah. And that happens. I've seen that. Yeah. Frequently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just like pissed at you. And then like I called a guy once who it was entirely on him, his mistakes, but I kept asking for third party testing. Yeah. And at some point he just like yelled at me. He's like, I'm not spending another dollar solving your problems. And it's like, you just promised a spec you couldn't deliver. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not on <laughs> me. But yeah. Right. I think that it wasn't didn't help either one of us that we burnt probably two or three months yeah. trying to get to that point. Yeah, and like the focus on um like bottom line cost of a particular product and the sort of I think there's a often a very uh not confrontational but like adversarial adversarial yeah uh relationship between vendors and, and customers or you know vendors clients and all of that really goes it pushes things all really in the wrong direction i found that it's a perceived adversarial right position like i just called someone the other day i got a quote that i felt was way too high Uh and i called them and they're like oh thanks so much for calling like we never get to talk through our quotes with people yeah and i was like yeah awesome well here's where i'm aiming to be and he was like here's the problem we're running into i was like great can we solve that problem can i pay for you know tooling can i like i just yeah anyway yeah um yeah, so uh, cash flow and lead times. What are your What are your thoughts? Um, well, I think, yeah, I have always like erred on the side of trying to be very accommodating to my customers for that reason of trying to be more less adversarial and more, um, more treating it as like a a mutual mutually beneficial arrangement. Um, <clears throat> but I think. I kind of shoot myself in the foot sometimes. And I think trying to work out deals with my customers for larger projects where as parts are done, like for example, this project that we're working on is um, I think it's like 12 different part numbers. A bunch of the stuff is done, Hmm. but we haven't shipped it. Um, So working out deals where as soon as things are done, we ship and there's lots of benefits there of just like where our, our shop is clogged with, stuff right now it's kind of hard to move around um so getting yeah getting cash in quicker as we finish projects and then on the other end we're working on ordering material later so that we have less uh we're leaning less on our creditors basically right and our suppliers and not putting them in a crunch that makes sense yeah um Sort of on this same topic, I, it's a little bit off topic, but I just had this realization that in customer service, 
at least in business to business, um, I think we focus a lot on sort of like the, uh, like the way people talk and what you say and like this, these kinds of things Mm -hmm. as being like really key to good customer service. Okay. And I had this realization that I think response time overrides all of that. Like, I think you can kind of be a jerk, but if you get back to people like to an, you know, not maybe not a jerk, but like kind of blunt and short and like, but if you get back to somebody immediately, I think you will make sales or, you know, be considered as good in customer service. And it's interesting that there, I mean, there is a lot of focus on that, but it's interesting that there's not more focus on that even as just like, if you're in customer service, you need to be fast. You need to be on the ball with people. Interesting. And um, so looking at customer service as something that has, you know, that you need to QC essentially Mm -hmm. focusing on quality and customer service. I sort of think that like, that's one place where like speed response time. So dollar days. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Yeah. You got to increase your throughput on the customer service. So anyway, that was just um, interesting. I was thinking about how we, you know, pair tasks across individuals. Yeah. And because of that, it doesn't batch. Well, I think a lot of people want to batch customer service. Yeah. Um, right. It's like, I'm not at my computer. I'm in the shop. I'll deal with that at the end of the day or tomorrow morning or, yeah. Or even being like, okay, I'm going to do all my emails on Monday and Wednesday or something. And I think that really doesn't work. And I have found through my own experience that, quick response is very helpful. And also like in the era of email, oftentimes a conversation can, or like getting to some sort of a conclusion can be six or eight emails back. Right. And if you were to batch that over a few times a week, that could be several weeks before you come to something that allows both you and the customer to move forward on a project. Whereas if you're quick about it, it could be an hour and you're done. I, Uh, I, often find with basically everything in business yeah that it's easy to be like oh what what is like best practice and honestly like the the best way that i've found to come to like real useful answers is sort of like trying to find an example of when i've experienced the other side Uh uh-huh yeah and i just think about like for me when i'm working on a project it is top of mind i really want to move it forward i want to get it off my plate and if I fire off three emails and one of the people like instantly responds, we can have that conversation live and I can make a decision and check it off my list and be done, done, done. Like yeah. give them money. I even have the thought of like, okay, I might be able to find a cheaper thing. Max is going to be like $50, $80 cheaper. Well, I mean, it depends on the scale of the sure. item. Yeah. But it's very rarely worth sort of delaying to yeah. get all the quotes, compare the, it's like, all right, finished. Yes. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So my thought has been that in, cause that's not a full-time job in our shop, uh-huh. that that needs to be something that is combined with other similar type tasks mm-hmm. that are flexible, flexible sort of in their timing uh, or not similar tasks, different tasks. Actually, they need to be paired with tasks that are not time critical. So right. they, they can happen any time in a day so that if you need to take 20 minutes out, to have this exchange, you can do that without delaying. So like yeah. often shipping is a good thing because it can all happen kind of at the end of the day as long as it happens before the truck arrives. Right. Um, other things like that. Do you have someone pick up your stuff? 
Um, for the most part, we drop off. Okay. Um, that's probably something we should revisit. I'm thinking I need to revisit that because, yeah, it sort of seems like a waste of time. At the beginning, they were going to charge me. I forget how many dollars a day. Yeah. And I was like, absolutely not. Because sometimes you only have like one package or no packages. Or This was via USPS? I forget. It was UPS? a few people. UPS, USPS. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to make a note to revisit that. Um. Yeah. So another piece i've been thinking about we sort of talked about off the podcast and thought it would be good to discuss here is like as the team grows dealing with quality problems mm-hmm. um sort of a a different aspect of growth like there's the cash flow question yep. i think like as the team grows you made the comment of like being nervous about quality not nervous about quality but like There is a question about how to maintain quality when you don't know that you've touched every part. Yeah. And I think I had, I I am having the same thing of like for the first time over the past few months, product shipped that I've barely touched. Yeah. Which is the goal and awesome. (laughs) Well, I guess Goldratt would say profit is the goal. goal. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Uh, like in terms of scaling, that is really key. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this briefly. I haven't fully fleshed this out in my head, but I think like I've been working a lot on these like information flow systems for job like preparation and setup and starting to run. Um, I think that is relatively simple. I mean, it's complicated, but it's in the grand scheme, relatively simple to enact because it's mostly a one-way kind of flow. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you try and build a system for QC or QA, you're dealing with a lot of feedback loops. Right. Um, And also the, like, how do I say this? When someone's setting up a job, like they, they can't start unless they've gotten all the information. So it's like kind of built in that you have um, good compliance. Mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully unless they're just hitting the green button without having done anything. But that's pretty obvious very quickly that it didn't work. Yeah. With QC and and QA, like you have to be much more, uh, an operator or an individual has to be much more um, intentional about compliance. And because it's very easy to just kind of like, in our case, run parts, not check them, and then find out at the end that they're bad. Um, And also like, the the feedback loops if there was a problem are extremely disruptive so it's almost like there is some like subconscious incentive not to totally uh so i think it's an it's an interesting thing that you know we're gonna have to start tackling soon um of how to build in these systems in a way that you get good i don't the word compliance i'm not not loving but good buy-in essentially and it is sort of compliance, but you need more than just compliance. You need like people who are actively involved in and invested yeah. in it succeeding. Yeah. And you need a system that's easy for them to do that. Right. And that building that seems a little more complicated than building good workflows for like handing off different aspects of a project. Yeah. So, so a few things that like I've read about slash found useful I think 
not that I'm an expert in any way <laughs> on this, but like in sort of um, like lately we've been talking a lot about QC. Uh-huh. And I think the thing I kind of realized last week is that I've been thinking about QC as sort of this separate piece mm-hmm. that is almost disrupting production. Sure. Rather than another step that the parts must flow through. Yeah. Like, so I've almost been thinking at our mill, we pass parts from our mill to our tumbler. Yeah. We have a queue, like a, like a buffer at our tumbler. Yeah. Um, because uh, timing and time are not the same thing. Uh, <laughs> there, it is a bottleneck, but not only, not over 24 hours, only over like eight hours. Yeah. It's like we always get everything through the tumbler, but yeah. it builds up a buffer there. Um, I've been thinking about adding another table that parts don't move into the buffer before they've been QC'd. Yeah. And that it is a, like an explicit part of production is moving it through that station. Like yeah. it's not just something we try to do and Mm -hmm. maybe do when things are either going very smoothly and we have extra time or going very poorly and we know we need to make do qc checks um i have had a similar thought i'm not quite sure how to enact it for us yet because our part size and like stuff and and quantity and and where they go can vary so much but i think i think using that sort of uh lens for for viewing it is probably going to be the only way forward yeah in that you have to make it yeah you have to make it an explicit part of the production system not as an extra check that right. has to be done right and to your point about feedback loops um there's a book by by shiji Oshingo called zero quality control yeah um and it relates to uh so it's uh so it relates to statistical quality control which was sort of a big revolution in manufacturing it sort of gets to like six sigma mm-hmm. is like sort of applying statistics to quality um but as shigio pointed out uh statistics are nice but facts are nicer <laughs> um and so the point there is that statistically it can be very unlikely that you have a reject or a bad part but that doesn't change the customer's experience if they receive a bad part yeah so unless you get to a hundred percent uh QC, yeah. There's a chance that something bad ships, but anyway, there's a challenges in implementing that around cost uh, that come down to like subsequent checks uh, and building Pokeo uh, fixtures. But um, and if th- you're in a high high mix environment, the building Pokeo fixtures yeah, sort of becomes tough. a non-starter. Yes and yes, if yes and no. Uh, the no part being that I think we've we've, we've touched on. There is a feeling that I I keep coming back to this. When there's a system that's very efficient, uh-huh. like mass production, uh-huh. like in-station efficient, right? Yeah. Very productive, I should say. It makes yeah. tons of stuff. When there's an issue and you have a bad day of production and you scrap a ton of stuff and you eat a whole day making bad stuff or realizing you made a pile of bad stuff... I think there's a tendency to categorize that in your mind as uh, as an exception, mm. as something that, oh, it, well, it went wrong. That's not how it's meant to work. Instead of like, yes, but that is how it works. Right. And so you can take all that time to amort- and amortize it over your parts and increase your cycle times accordingly yeah. Yeah. and still be ahead. I just meant more of like in a job shop environment when you get a part that you made. I mean, we do poke a yoke in yeah, yeah. like soft jaws and stuff like that but like but not for like defining 
you know, not making fixed gauging for for every part. Totally. I could imagine scenarios where doing in-cycle probing for critical features to know that nothing comes out of the machine Mm -hmm. that doesn't comply. Because So what I was going to say is like doing QC immediately after uh, a part comes out of a machine instead of waiting like it gets queued up in the QC department and then they get QC. Like the shorter those feedback loops can be, the fewer rejects you are likely to make yeah. before something gets caught. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is like subsequent checks. There's an idea of like subsequent checks and in-station quality where nothing gets passed that is not... Uh, mm-hmm doesn't comply um so something we've been trying to do unsuccessfully so far for the most part is subsequent checks shouldn't be done by the same person who did the work yeah it's hard when there's only maybe one of you in the shop it's not only that like sam has been doing most of production and so he'll do all the sewing and then theoretically i should do the shipping because then i get to touch all of those parts and check them as they go out the shop yeah there's just like he knows how to do the shipping. I have a lot of other things I quote unquote need to do that he doesn't know how to do. So we've been sort of wrestling with that. It's like, I should check it. One thing we've found that is a hap, maybe not a happy medium, but a stopgap is if I hate to say this because it, it relies on batching. Yeah. Is that there seems to sort of remove you a little bit from the immediacy of having just done the work. So if he does a few orders and then goes to the shipping station and checks a few orders, uh-huh. he's forgotten which one was which. A little bit. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, you read the, misread the same thing twice in the same way because uh-huh. you did it 10 seconds apart. It's right. like, okay, it's 10 minutes apart. And <laughs> that's I actually, don't know. you know, probably re- a reasonable stopgap and maybe even like, Maybe not the long term, but it might, you know, I guess also there's like coming back to like the proofs in the pudding and yeah, right. You know, it's great to have this like theoretical idea that, you know, people shouldn't be checking their own work, but if you can figure out a way to make it effective that people, when people do check their own work, then it's fine. Uh, yeah. And I think it's different as a small like yeah best practice sure if you have a huge factory with a person at every single station yeah. <laughs> like right yeah i could see implementing that yeah but for us it is i mean yeah that simultaneously i just always hate to kind of yeah let myself off the hook last little piece on qc maybe um i had this idea for yeah as part of our job management because it can be both ways detrimental to have a, a completely standard QC strategy. Yeah. Right. Like if there's parts that legitimately don't need it, you're just doing, you're overworking things. <laughs> right. Uh, what's the lean waste? Uh, overprocessing. We, uh, yeah. Overprocessing. Um, simultaneously, if you're not checking parts that need a lot of checks, that's very detrimental because you're probably producing defects. Um, so I've been in- thinking about maybe having just like a three level tier that we can assign to different part numbers. And that's like, this is a one, two or three, like check accordingly. Huh? Um, or like not check accordingly, but like have a QC, uh, like SOP basically. That's like, if it's a one check every 10th part and only these, you know, only the 
critical features on the print. If it's a two, check every five. If it's a three, check every every piece or something like I that. I see what you're saying. So that it's an easy way to like just kind of highlight to the operators and employees what level basically like in our shop we have because we've done a lot of like more loose tolerance work things that have a couple key features and then it's primarily about aesthetics yeah we often really prioritize you know speed and keeping things moving mm-hmm. um and it's easy for that to just become sort of the de facto status yeah uh, of the shop um and so i think it would be good for to have a simple way that employees can say oh this is a this is a three on this one we can't we can't prioritize speed over other things like uh qc has to be the priority on these parts my feeling hearing you say that is like i'm not sure what the purpose of uh, it seems like there's two things happening one is what needs to get checked and the other is frequency how many how what percentage needs to get checked yeah and i wonder if that would just be simpler nomenclature like like it's one in ten or every or one in one or one in a hundred and i guess that would be like a numerical thing and the other piece would then it needs to go you know that it needs to go into a qc process and maybe each piece has a simple call like a simple call out unless it's really yeah i mean i think i think the other aspect that it at least in our work that we do right now is just a level of attentiveness where there's a lot of parts that we do right now that if they're set up properly at the beginning yeah and nothing looks wrong because of the precision of our of the machines that we we both run if nothing looks wrong while you're running it like visually if you pick it up and you're like ah nice another nice part like it's gonna be fine yeah like legitimately it will be fine right and that is one level of attentiveness yeah and then there's other parts where the le- where the precision is beyond what you can easily sort of t- see by just the overall status of like are the finishes okay are things blending all right? right i don't see anything weird in the machine and maybe that's really the kind of the delineation we need to make is like this goes from having checked the first several parts to make sure that things Mm. were running consistently. And from that point on, you basically prioritize speed and just getting the parts done Right. to no, these are parts where you have to like stop and check and measure on a regular basis. Yeah. So another piece we found and, uh, timing wise, we should wrap this up, um, was just like another piece that we've struggled with, I should say is checking parts and then you check them frequently and then it's like wow they're good they're good they're good okay like we don't need to check them as much anymore and it's like tools wear over time yeah fixtures (laughs) break down over time (laughs) like and yeah picking a good regimen and then sticking to that as a again like coming back to that like this is a step in the process and we have defined ahead of time how we do that right how many we do it on all that is yeah (laughs) Yeah. I feel like important and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Key. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Cool. Well, is that pretty much wraps up for today? Anything at last you want to hit on? Yeah, I think that's kind of it. Um, yeah, I guess the last piece I would hit on, on QC. That's uh, We talked about this early days. I forget if it was on the podcast. Anyway, um, again, if you're making rejects, 
take like analyze that time of both machining the reject, checking the reject, finding the reject, eliminating that reject, and amortize that time over your production to eliminate the reject. And overall, that's a cheaper process to run. And I think this gets back to like cost accounting. We did that with paint where I was so intent on getting our cycle times on paint down that we uh-huh. had massive rejects and I kept <clears throat> doing the same like fast paint. And then I realized, wait, I can just do the QC ahead of baking it in the oven that makes it permanent uh-huh. to eliminate a lot of our rejects. And we did eliminate a lot of our rejects and it took more time in the painting process, which looked bad on our spreadsheet, right? <laughs> but it took less time overall. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think this is the rationalize your production side of things. Yeah. That yeah. lean books talk a lot about. Yeah. Oh, I got one last closing statement, which is maybe obvious, but in the business to business world, the best time to start a business relationship is six months ago. And the next best time is today. <laughs> Isn't there a tree quote to that? Yeah, it, I, just, <laughs> I like it. I just stole the tree quote. But uh, I think it's true. Um, yeah, because both take a while to grow. They take a long time to grow. There's high stakes for business relationships, right. much more than retail relationships. If you go buy a pair of pants, you're not like, you know, you might not buy another one if you don't like them, but you're not going to be like real pissed and sending emails probably. To and the, it's not going to sink your business. And it's not going to sink your business. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good call. Businesses are uh, business relationships are slow to grow, slow to flower and fruit. So, uh, Start them, start them before you need them. And on that note, yeah. <laughs> um, you can find me on Instagram at austere underscore manufacturing. You can find me on Instagram at lichen underscore MFG on Instagram. And the podcast at incremental CI. Uh, we love hearing from folks. And um, please do leave reviews on the podcast where you listen to it. Um, it allegedly helps our ratings. No, uh, <laughs> it, it does help um, people find us and get more people involved in this conversation. Um, we've already started having some really interesting people reach out um, and really help us uh, in, in inform the conversation from real world experience. Yeah. Um, DFM Toolworks, shout out. Uh, All the nuggets. Has worked at Toyota. Yes. And uh, gives us like, oh, yes, but here's actually how they do it when the rubber meets the road. Uh-huh. Um, we, we try to kind of share some of that. But um, yeah, anyway, the more people we can get involved in this conversation, I feel like we can all kind of grow together and move things forward. So yeah, um, yeah spread the word, uh, leave a review, all that. We'll talk to you all soon.